Well, you guys can have a seat. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah? I had the streets plowed so everybody could get here. Now that's a different state. Sorry. Um, well, there we go. I want to see if my voice is before I start talking too loud. Good morning. Um, let me pray over everybody. Father, we thank you, God, for this morning. We just thank you, God, for this day. Uh, we ask, God, that you speak to us this morning. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. This weather has been wild, right? Can we all agree? At least it's been wild, like kind of interesting. Uh, I, I planned the weather so that it would kind of match the uh, logo this morning. But no, I didn't. It just so happened. But uh, has anybody been going boating or doing anything fun lately? You guys been going out boating or fishing? Anybody been going fishing in here? No? We don't have any fishermen? I'm sorry. Uh, how about sailing? Oh, I see a couple fisher. Yeah, I see a couple. What about sailing? Anybody sailing in here lately? No sailing? Okay, good. Yeah, I think that's smart. Uh, I hate sailing. Does anybody else hate sailing? I don't know. I mean, boating is one thing. Sailing is like kind of scary, I, I think, you know, because you kind of have to deal with the elements in a sense. So you're at the mercy of whatever the waves do, the storms and um, another reason why I, I think I hate sailing is because when I was growing up in high school, uh, my stepdad had a, uh, it was a small catamaran boat. Do you guys know what a catamaran is? I, I have a picture of it. It's a catamaran. It kind of looks like a Hobie cat. That's me up on the edge there. No, it's not really. But um, No, that wasn't us. Uh, but the reason why I hated it was I, I would be at high school, and my stepdad, he would pull up sometimes to the, to the high school, and he would have the catamaran strapped to the back of the truck. And I always just knew, like, this is going to be a day, you know? Um, somebody had passed on this catamaran to us, and so he would try and, uh, he had to patch it, and he filled it with all sorts of things to make it float better, and basically it was a piece of junk uh, catamaran, okay? But uh, I always knew that when he showed up, it was going to be a joyride because we, we never really knew what was gonna happen. It was kind of, I called it adventuring, because most of the time we would almost sink to where the tops of the, the what do you call them, the pontoons uh, were just barely over the water. I remember one time me and my best friend went with him, and we climbed out on top of the pontoons, and we were basically trying to push the, push the boat out into the gulf, okay? Um, and I, I, I kept thinking while I'm doing it, I'm like, okay, so it's taking this much work to get out there. Are we going to be able to get back in? But I think my stepdad just thought, well, that's the fun of it. Let's find out. Um, but I hate sailing. Um, kind of have retired in that. Uh, I also want to read to you all a story this morning. Uh, it's kind of about sailing. It's fishermen basically taking a sailboat out. It's when Jesus calms the storm. You all know that story, right? And most of the time when people read this story, it could be like a, a little kid's story to adults. I've heard it all in, in every area of ministry. But I would say that most of the time people say that uh, Jesus wants to calm the storms in your life. Like, have you guys heard that when it correlates with this same story, right? Jesus wants to calm. And I think that that is true. I do think it's true. I think he wants to calm. I don't want to take away from that phrase. But I think there's a lot more to this story. And I want to spend some time this morning uh, going through it. Now, I will say... The reason why I kind of felt like um, I want to go through this story is because a couple weeks ago, I preached a message on basically don't fear, right? Like, don't be afraid. 
uh, trust God, all that stuff. But today I felt like this is a little bit of a continuation of that in the sense of this is how to not be afraid. And this is why we're to not be afraid, okay? So it's a little bit of continuation, but it's still going to be different. So Mark 4.33, um, we're going to start there. It said, Jesus used many parables such as these as he taught the people, and they learned according to their ability to understand. He never spoke to them without using parables, but would wait until he was alone with his disciples to explain to them their meaning. That same day after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, I will tell you, let's pause there, but I will tell you that on that same catamaran, okay, that same boat, I have been stranded at night. And if you want any tips from Matt about sailing, you don't go out at night, okay? And I'll give you a couple reasons why. First of all, especially here in Florida, is there are species that eat you, okay? There's creatures, everybody kind of knows, right? I don't want to say the word, my daughter got... You know, she's afraid of those things, but uh, they eat you, okay? You can die, and that's feeding time when you go out at dark. Another reason why is because of visibility, right? You, you can't see people, and people can't see you, so it just brings up everything a little more um, dangerous. Um, and you have to know that when Jesus told everybody, hey, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, you have to know that some of those fishermen were standing there thinking, let's not do this. Like, this is going to probably turn out bad. Um, if you know anything about uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's actually not um, a sea. It's, it's a lake, and it's the lowest-lying lake in the world, okay? It's 700 feet below sea level, has mountains all around it. So if you know what that is, that is like the perfect situation for a storm or something to happen. So you got to know that they were thinking that before they went out. Um, Verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd behind, the disciples got into the boat, which Jesus was already sitting, and they took him with them, and other boats sailed with them. It says Jesus was already sitting. Okay, to me, that means basically he called shotgun. You guys know what shotgun is? <laughs> He's already in the car. I don't know if you ever have, like, parents or friends or anybody, but when they're already in the car, it's not really a discussion. We're going, okay? Like, I called this spot, and so the disciples climb in. Uh, verse 37 says, suddenly as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious storm arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was nearly swamped. All right, so this same boat that I, that I was telling you about, that my stepdad would pick me up, I remember one day he picked me up and there was a middle of a storm, kind of like this morning, okay? And he picks me up and I, I saw the boat was on there. I didn't even ask questions because I knew what he was thinking. And I knew we were going to go out and attempt this crazy storm, even though the boat sank almost every time we went out. So we get out onto the, the channel. We finally got the boat into the water, got the mast up and everything. And the moment that we put the sail up, okay, the, the whole boat, it was like lightning struck and the whole boat flipped upside down and we broke the mast. Okay. And while we were flipping, I don't know why, but there was a battery and a trolling motor. I grabbed the battery. Okay. So when I go to come up, I have this big marine-sized battery in my hand, and the canvas is over my head, all right? So I'm trying to figure it out. I climb out from underneath, and I throw the battery on top of the canvas. My stepdad comes up, and we climb on top, and we kind of look like uh, not very smart people on top of the boat. And so happened that this uh, guy in a houseboat threw us a rope and kind of pulled us in, and it was able to save us, right? And here's what I think about that, right? I was listening to my stepdad 
in that moment. I was trusting that he was going to lead me, uh, you know, and I was going to be okay. And isn't it interesting, here the disciples were listening to what Jesus asked them to do, and the storm still hit. Have you ever had this happen, y'all, where you're, you're doing something? right? Like you're doing, maybe you're even doing something for God and you're following God or you're listening to God and all of a sudden all chaos hits. Like you're just overwhelmed with something that you weren't expecting or just something bad happened. Maybe you were on your way to church and you got a flat tire or something, right? Something bad happens. Um, And what's wild is Jesus was with them. Okay. He was with the disciples. And can I tell you sometimes in life, Right? You will have done what you felt God wanted you to do. But God will be with you, and you'll be headed right into a storm, and you don't even know it. Verse 38, it says, But Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. I think about this, I'm like, of course he was resting on a cushion, right? He was taking a nap somewhere. Um, He was asleep. And it says, uh, verse 39, it says that they shook him awake saying, teacher, don't you even care that we are about to die? Fully awake, he rebuked the storm and shouted to the sea, hush, be still. All at once, the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. Then he turned to his disciples and said to them, why are you so afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? Verse 41, 41, it says, but they were overwhelmed with fear and awe and said to one another, who is this man who has such authority that even the wind and the waves obey him? So that it says that they shook him awake. And you got to know before they shook, they had to do rock, paper, scissors to kind of figure out which disciple was going to do it. Because the disciples, like there's no other place in the Bible that Jesus was sleeping. Like you can't find it. And here he's taking a nap. I don't know if he didn't sleep very much. I don't know if he, you know, he's the son of God. Maybe he didn't sleep. I don't know. But they were nervous about it. And they went to go shake him, right? It says, teacher, don't you even care that we all, that we're all about to die? And his response was a little odd. It was a little strange. He then turned to his disciples and said to them, why are you so afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? And have you ever had those moments where like you went to go do something right and all of a sudden something fell odd? Uh, I kind of relate it to if you're sitting at a restaurant and you've ordered some good food and the waiter or waitress brings out the food to you and goes to serve you and like you're all excited because you've been waiting for 20 minutes for the food to get out and you go to grab it and usually the, the... waiter will go, stop, don't eat, touch the plate. And you're just like, whoa, like I was just trying to get some food. You're, you're a little like, what just happened here? Like, but you just thought, I'm just going to grab some food. And, and that person thought you should stop. Anybody ever had those moments? Um, this is what that moment's like as like, of course they're thinking, Jesus, if you would have just look, look around, Like he's saying, what are you so afraid about? Uh, Jesus, the boat is swamped. Like we're about to die. Something bad has happened. Jesus, why are you asking why are we so afraid? Like you have to know that they're thinking that. And see, I believe that Jesus wasn't upset because they woke him up, but because of what they said. It said, don't you even care that we are all about to die? This statement from the disciples was a bit of a smack in the face because you have to know that Jesus was thinking, of course I care. Of course I care about you. I mean, 
uh, if you were to read the book of John, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I even wonder if he's telling them this, if he's pointing to himself. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the next phrase, it says, um, and God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world might be saved through him. So he's thinking, that I cannot believe that you would say that. I can't believe that you would say, um, do you even care? And it really, what's wild is, if you, take, if you took those, those couple phrases out of context, like if you took them out of the verse, the, the chapter, they almost would apply to whatever the, everything that's going on today, right? Like, do you not even care, God? And God is saying, of course I care. Um, I kind of relate it to everyday life. Uh, God, my bills. Anybody ever said, God, my bills? I say it all the time. Don't you even care? God, my car. Don't you even care? God, my job. Anybody ever said, God, my job? Don't you even care? God, I'm sick right now. Don't you even care? God, these kids that you gave me. Don't you even care? And I know this gets a little shallow, but God, my iPhone, it's a six and I want the 12. It's got these cool little cameras on it. Like, God, my iPhone, come on. Or like you're flipping through your TV and you're like, man, God, my TV, I want a smart TV. My TV's dumb. I want a smarter TV, God. Can you help me out a little bit? Um, and this one is worse. Like, uh, God, those Disney tickets that I was going to buy for the whole season, God, now they took them away and all they got the Tinkerbell tickets. It's not fair, God. You took all those tickets away. I'm talking to the Orlando people. Nobody knows what we're talking about online, I can promise you. Um, but let's go back to verse 33. It says, Jesus used many parables such as these as he taught the people and they learned according to their ability to understand and he never spoke to them without using parables but would wait until he was alone with his disciples to explain their meanings. So you know what they thought. They thought we have the inside scoop. Like we know what's going on because basically Jesus talks to everybody in these riddles and then he goes and tells us what he's actually saying to them. But I can almost guarantee you that Jesus was so intelligent that he even lined up scenarios that were explaining things to them. That even we, 2,000 years ago, would still be looking at a scenario that happened and thinking, what is God saying in this scenario? Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. If we don't see that he knew that there would be trouble, we are fooling ourselves fooling ourselves. He knew what was to be ahead. He knew what was coming soon. It's just like when he was walking on the beach and he knew what disciples were going to drop their nets and follow him. He knew that Lazarus was going to die on the way to Lazarus's house. And he also knew that Lazarus was going to be risen again. He, he also knew which disciple would betray him and at exactly what hour when the rooster crowed and how many times that he would betray him. So if we think that Jesus didn't know the scenario and that the storm was on the lake, we're fooling ourselves. Yet instead of waiting, what did he do? He said, let's set sail until the next day. And he said, let's go to the other side. Tonight? In the dark? Yes, let's go to the other side. And I might be sounding redundant from a couple weeks ago, but I think so many times believers don't want their boat rocked. I'm one of them, right? I don't like my boat rocked. I like, basically, I like blue skies. I like no rain. 
I like rainbows, and I want Lucky Charms at the bottom of the rainbows. And I want my cake, and I want to eat it too. I want ice cream cake. I don't really like regular cake. The frosting is kind of gross, but I want ice cream cake, and I want to eat it too, okay? Hebrews 11.1, we're talking about faith. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. And here's, this is kind of like a newsflash, but if things are unseen, right? It says that we're to believe God for things that are unseen. That means that in this moment, there will be days, there will be months, there will be seasons where we're not seeing the things that we want. And that's okay. That is okay. I remember I heard a message 20 years ago. Uh, it was a president of Beacon University up north. And one of the messages that he preached was that uh, what to do when God says no. And I'm telling you, it was so good for me. Because I believe that it's like the commercial, it's my money and I want it now. Right? Like, that's ridiculous. It's not really their money because they're going to owe somebody something in a minute. Right? So it's a little false advertisement. James 1, 2, it says, my fellow believers, this isn't a different, this isn't a passion translation, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. And here's what I'll say, for a long time, I didn't read that scripture. I didn't like that scripture. In fact, I hated that scripture. I'm like, why is James so harsh? I just think James is kind of honest, right? Because I didn't contribute difficulties to joy. I didn't contribute the two. I didn't think that there was any kind of connection there. In fact, this is probably how I read the verse, okay? When you're facing difficulties, you're not in God's will. When you're facing difficulties, you've probably sinned and messed up. When you're facing difficulties, you aren't praying enough. When you're facing, facing difficulties, you're lacking faith and you need to believe God more. When you're facing difficulties, you should go pout in the corner. <laughs> and many days I did. But James said, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. That's crazy talk. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy isn't circumstantial. Most of you know the difference between happiness and joy, and we won't go into that, but happiness is more of an emotion that's expressed, and there's nothing wrong with happiness. But joy isn't circumstantial. The word joy, it's where we get the word charis, but it means kara, which means the awareness of God's grace. It means the awareness of God's grace. James 1, 2 through 8 Consider it a sheer gift. I know the King James says, consider it pure joy, but consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith is forced into the open and shows you its true colors, right? I wrote this down. You're not lacking faith because you're not getting everything you're asking for. In fact, your faith shows its true colors when things aren't going your way and you're still trusting him. I'll say that again while I'm looking at you. You're not lacking faith just because you're not getting everything you're asking for. Amen. In fact, your faith shows its true colors when you're still trusting God and you don't see what you're wanting, right? 
Um, let's keep reading. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Dang it, I hate that part. Let it do its work, so become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. We just talked about the Father last week. Clark just talked about that, right? He loves to help. Faith is sometimes you just saying, I don't know what I'm doing, God. I need help. I just need help, God. I don't know what I'm doing. That is faith, okay? And I, I have this saying for a long time, forgive me. Uh, YouTube, okay, everybody knows YouTube, is the dad that we always needed, right? Anytime I run into some kind of problem, I don't know how to fix something. I know how to fix a lot of things, but I'll tell you, my secret is YouTube, okay? I look it up. Hey, dad, can you tell me how to fix this, right? YouTube is the dad we always needed. God is the father that we always wanted. He is the dad that we always dreamed of. You'll get this, this next part, you'll get this help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believing without a second thought, people who worry their prayers, that's me, are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. James had to have known about the situation in the boat with the waves of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus calmed the storm. You have to know he was there because it said there were other boats there. If not, he was told about it. And James is reminding us, don't be afraid when challenges arise. In fact, ask boldly. Believe without a second thought. James said, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy. If the boat scenario happened again, okay, like if the disciples were all in this boat situation again after they had experienced all that they experienced, I think instead of saying, do you think or do you even care about us? I think that they would have said, get up, Jesus. We know that you can help. We know you can help and we want you to get up right now. Philippians 4, we're going to read through this a little bit, but it's verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And this word rejoice, I hate that. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. What does that mean? I mean, the Greek, it look, you look it up, it means always. It means all the time, right? Rejoice is a verb, and it means to express great joy. But in the Greek, it is also related to this charis word. It means kairo, kairo which means glad for grace. It means that we are glad for grace. To those who love commandments, right? I know that there's still people that go to church here that love the commandments and are really disappointed about those commandments. But I want you to know this is a command and it says to rejoice and to be glad about grace. That is something we get to do as new believers. <laughs> Verse 5, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every such situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The passage from James and Philippians are both telling us that instead of freaking out, that we're to pray. Right? We're to talk to God. And I believe the more you talk with God, the more you will rejoice. Because it's like you're getting to know him, you're talking to him. I mean, you can't really talk to God and be freaking out all at the same time. Because the more you talk with him, the more you're going to realize how big he is, how much he loves you how close you are with him in this connection and all those crazy things that are happening all around you, it's going to cease. 
Verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What's true? Things, we just went over that last week. It's true that we're sons and daughters of God. It's true that we are as close to God as we can be, and he's as close to us as he can be. Verse 10, it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. At last, you renew, uh, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That is something that, man, this year I want to figure that out, right? I am... I'm learning, to, or I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, or in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Like, that's a real encouraging word. It was good for you to share in my troubles, right? I'm so glad that you just went through all that stuff that I just went through. doesn't seem that encouraging. But here he's trying to say that, and, and most of the time people take that, I can do all things through Christ's strength. It's like, I can do anything and everything that I want, okay? I did it for years. I used to use that verse out of context. But here it's saying, I've learned the secret to contentment is to be joyful and rejoice no matter what situation I am in life. Let's skip down to uh, verse 19, Philippians 19. It says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Now that's kind of confusing because he said he's going to meet all of our needs, but yet Paul lacked. You have to take both areas and realize just because he is meeting your needs sometimes whether you realize it or not. Amen. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of closing part right here where he's saying goodbye. But I, I want to point this part out. 21, greet all God's people in Christ. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send your greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Verse 33, this, this part right here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Joy. I told you already, joy means an awareness of God's grace. Okay, if we were to skip back over to verse 41 in Mark, it says, But they were overwhelmed with fear and awe and said to one another, Who is this man who has such authority that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, the, the reason why they were overwhelmed is because they had seen healings. They had seen Jesus provide things but they'd never seen this part of Jesus. In fact, most people would say, most theologians would say, Mark doesn't talk about the deity of, of Christ, but I'll tell you what, he does right here. Because <laughs> he's saying that these disciples were now overwhelmed with who he was. Just a second before that, they were overwhelmed with their circumstance. They were overwhelmed to the point that they didn't even think that Jesus cared about them. And yet, in a couple seconds later, they realized, who is this man? Who is this person? 
obviously it's not just a man that goes around and tells good things and live a good way. No, this is God in the presence of us right now. And this is really the start. It's better to be overwhelmed by who God is than overwhelmed by our circumstances. Eventually you can see they had learned the secret to contentment because when Peter said later, he said, cast all your cares upon me because he cares for you. Even use that word care. Clearly they had a change of mind. Clearly they realized, no, he cares way more about me than I even had any clue. And I just, I guess I wanted to encourage you guys this morning. Don't be overwhelmed. Whatever you're going through, whatever life holds ahead, if you know that he is with you and his grace is with us, you can be overwhelmed with that. And that causes a rejoicing. It's not a fake, hey, I'm just going to scream and be happy for no reason. No, this is a more of an understanding of how good God is and that his grace is with us at all times. That causes us to rejoice at all times just because he's with us. And that's what the disciples learned is, hey, he's with us. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Amen? Um, let me pray for you guys and we're going to close. Father, we just thank you, God, for each one that's here, God, this morning. I don't even really know, I don't even know why I wanted to t tackle this topic, but God, I thank you, God, you led me here. And God, I, I speak to each person right where they're at. Maybe you, you're, it's not your goal right now to calm the storm. Maybe you know right where they're at. And God, you know exactly what they're going through, and you're there with them, and they need to know that. They need to be overwhelmed with who you are, God. So we trust in you in the midst of every situation. We love you, God. We speak life to their situation. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen.